message from our lead pastor, Michael Signorelli. Prepare to go, C1. Why don't you open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 5, verse 25. I'm going to read some scripture to you. We love the Bible. We love scripture. We're students of the word. Our challenge is for you to dig in deeper every single week. And I'll be honest with you, this shouldn't be the only time that you get into the word. But I understand it's a little bit hard to understand. So we're going to break it down for you the best we can. And we've got a podcast. Can we all just welcome everyone listening to the podcast right now? This thing gets shared all over the world. I mean, it's on average over 60 countries that listen in and people share it. And it's just been phenomenal what happens. So I invite you to find this and listen, through, listen throughout the week. We're going to use the message translation. We're not too religious. I say use whatever translation you'll actually read. Can I get a hello? hello. All right. So a woman who has suffered a condition of hemorrhaging for 12 years, a long succession of physicians had treated her and treated her badly taking all her money and leaving her worse off than before, had heard about Jesus. She slipped in from behind and touched his robe. She was thinking to herself, if I can put a finger on his robe, I can get well. Some other translations say, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I can be well. For those of you who are old school, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. The moment she did it, the flow of blood dried up. She could feel the change and knew that her plague was over and done with. At that same moment, Jesus felt energy, energy discharging from him. He turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said, what are you talking about? With the crowd pushing and jostling you, you're asking who touched me? Dozens, dozens have touched you. But he went on asking, looking around to see who had done it. The woman, knowing what had happened, knowing that she was the one, stepped up in fear and trembling, knelt before him and gave him the whole story. Jesus said to her, daughter, you took a risk of faith and now you're healed and whole. Live well, live blessed, be healed of your plague. Be healed. She was a woman with an issue. Turn to the person next to you and just ask them real quick, what's your issue? And look at that other, that other pretty person next to you and ask them, hey, what's your issue? Let's just get this out of the way right now. We've all got issues, am I right? What is your issue? This woman is immortalized in scripture because of her issue. Now, I want to tell you, I talked a little bit about it earlier, but Julie and I had this plan. And, and you know, plans don't often go the way that you plan them. And we had this thing where we're like, okay, we're Christians. We're in our early 20s. I think you're hot. Do you think I'm hot? You do? <laughs> Let's. And then we had this plan. This is pretty much the exact thinking. I'm, this is verbatim, probably. And... We're like, let's get married, and then we could be like these Christian hippies, because you sing and I play the guitar. That's a good combo. That's the basis of a successful marriage, right? And we'll just tour all over, and we'll play music, and we'll just be like these hippies in love, and like we'll just make out after shows and stuff. And I was like, how's that sound? And she was like, sounds good to me. And I'm like, all right, let's do this. So that was our plan. And it worked really well for two months. 
two months of just playing guitar and singing and making out. Then all of a sudden, can I just tell them? We got pregnant on birth control. <laughs> that happens for those of you living in sin right now. <laughs> At our church, we have this thing where we say, well, and if you're feeling the pressure and you want the person next to you to think that that's not for you, but it might not be for them, we just say, well, so we got pregnant on birth control. Well, and I will never forget Julie woke me up in the middle of the night. She's crying. She's like, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm pregnant. And I'm like, and I, you know, for me, it's like at that particular point, you're like, what are you going to do? Just be happy about it, right? So I'm like, awesome. And she's like, you seem so chill, but we don't even have jobs. <laughs> I'm a man of faith. <laughs> and we went on that journey and, you know, obviously Bella Joy was born. And, but before that, there's this moment and it's when the woman is so big, like her belly looks like it's gonna rupture. Have you seen that? And everywhere they walk, they like tip stuff over. And it just looks like painful to watch them in that condition. Have you ever seen that? Where it's like their pregnancy elicits your sympathy? Where you're like, I'm sorry, because I know I've, I'm a man, I've never been pregnant, but that looks terrible. She was in that condition. And it was just like, I'm looking at her do all this, you know? I only have Taco Bell food babies like that. And I'm like, Julie, what are we gonna do? And she's like, we're going to Walmart right now because that's where people from Indiana go to hang out. And so we go to Walmart and she's just like going through every single aisle as fast as she can. And I'm like trying to keep up with her and she's waddling like this <laughs> as fast as she can. And I'm like trying to keep up with her. And all of a sudden we end up in the automotive section. And I'm like, I'm looking at her. I'm like, why are we in the automotive section? And she's like, because I have to find castrol oil. And I'm like, castrol oil? What is she going to do with castrol oil? And she's like, I've got to find it. She's looking all over through. I'm like, babe, stop. Please stop. Why are you looking for castrol oil in a Walmart in Indiana, proving that we're full-blown hillbillies? Because I know you ain't going to change the oil of the truck tonight. And she's like, because I read this thing online that if you drink castrol oil, you'll have the baby. And I was like, let me just stop you right there. I'm going to have to Google this. <laughs> and I didn't even really like tell her it wasn't possible because I don't want to be wrong because Google is the source of all truth. So I'm like, I've got to Google this first because maybe Google knows something I don't know. So I Google cast and you know, some of you were shouting it out at me. It's, it was castor oil, castor oil. So I saved two lives in one. End of sermon. <laughs> and as I, as I redirected her to the castor oil, all of a sudden we got home. She was like, I don't want to take it. I'm scared. I'm like, listen, I'll take a little bit. You take a little bit. I'll jump in on the team. Both of us gave birth the next day. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Isn't that real talk? Both of us gave birth. And there ain't even a sermon in there. That's just called real life. <laughs> that really happened. That really happened. But, <laughs> but how many of you know that in a moment of desperation, you'll do some stupid things? How many of you know that there are people that are in so much pain that they're two letters off from the real solution? 
that they would literally go into the automotive aisle of life rummaging through castrol oil that they're missing the whole point that in their own pain and suffering they saw what they wanted to see and it's amazing to me that Julie's baby brain isn't that what they call it baby brain had red castrol oil and she was willing to drink motor oil at nine months pregnant and it's so funny to look at her life and be like, what is wrong with her? She seems halfway intelligent. Just let it, watch her lead worship. There's no way you could do that. It, you know, I, I don't understand. Well, let me just tell you, that's what desperation will do. And in your most desperate hour, you've been running through the aisles of life looking for a product to help you too. And I'm here to tell you that you got an issue and I got an issue and this woman had an issue. But today we're preaching this sermon. It is called One More Move. You got one more move. Is there somebody that's listening under the sound of my voice who's saying, I got an issue, but it's not going to be my identity because I got one more move. This woman suffered, suffered for years and when I look at this, I'm thinking she had a condition, an issue of blood. And eventually she got healed, but thank God that she didn't for all those years because what took her 12 years earned her 2,000 to be an example. And God will change your 12 for 2,000 if you let him. God will change your 30 years for 2,000 to be an example if you'll let them. And some of the things that we've wanted to get through so badly in life, God's saying, you know what, in my perfect and sovereign will, I'm bringing you through it, not just to it, but if you'll let me, I'll use it. And somebody in this room, you need to know that God needs you to survive so that somebody else can have the proof that it's possible. Somebody in this room, you went through something. I can't reach everyone, but look around. You all can reach everyone together. And I love the fact that you have the disciples who ended, ended up becoming apostles. And you have all these figures in scripture. And you just got a nameless, faceless woman who taught us what it's like to take a risk on faith. And she had this condition. She had this issue. And you know what I love so much as we look at this? Let me just look at verse 35. It says, when his disciples thought they had gone on long enough, it was now quite late in the day, they interrupted. And you have uh, this, this, this moment where Jesus was actually headed towards another destination to heal another girl who was actually dealing with her own issue. And this woman was so desperate in her faith that she divinely disrupted him and just touched the hem of his garment. But I've got to tell you a little bit about what it was like in Jesus' time because the robe, the hem of the robe was just somewhere down by the feet. It was a place that would attract up dirt and filth. And Jesus had this crowd of people pressing around him. And she said it in her heart. You know what? I'm probably not worthy of his face to get a one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. I'm probably not even worthy of his hand so that Jesus could touch me and make me whole. But if I could get down to that filthy place, if I can crawl down low enough, which was a representation of how she felt about herself, if I could meet Jesus on this level that I'm on down here in the filth, if I can meet Jesus on that level, maybe if I can touch him, I just know that I know that I can be healed. And I'm telling you, some of you during worship felt so unworthy today. 
Some of you, as everyone was singing, were saying, if they knew my past, there's no way that I'm qualified to meet Jesus face to face right now. If they knew what I've been through, if they know what I've done, there's no way that I can meet him face to face. And you were just reaching out for the hem of his garment. There were a lot of tears in the room during worship. I believe it was because God was honoring this word right here to let you know that in the midst of your unworthiness, that he wants to call you son and he wants to call you daughter. And you're surrounded by people who think, if I walk into that church, I'm gonna burst in flames because of what I've done. And what they get is the complete opposite, the loving arms of their father embracing them. I love what it says. She touches the hem of his garment, completely healed. It says, at that same moment, Jesus felt energy discharging from him. He turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? Well, let me just tell you something you may or may not know about Jesus. He knew who touched his robe. You ain't hiding from Jesus. People all the time, Pastor Mike, teach me how to pray. Well, just get real honest because you ain't lying to him anyways. I don't know what to say with God. Just say out loud what you're saying in your head because he's reading your mind anyways. And all of a sudden, it's like, who touched my robe? That was a rhetorical question. Who touched my robe? Who touched my robe? And there's crowds everywhere swarming them. And you know that one of the biggest barriers to this woman were crowds of believers? Do you know that when you look in scripture, the crowds that surrounded Jesus were oftentimes crowds of believers already that created a barrier around the unbelievers who had to try to penetrate that barrier of believers? How many of the frozen chosen us for no more are getting in the way and blocking Jesus from people who want to receive him? Yeah. What I love about this church is we're willing to we're willing to part the crowd and say, is this the man you want to meet? It ain't about us. We know what we know. But you got to get yours. And I think this story would have been a little different if V1 Church was around because we would actually said, you see that woman clawing her way on the ground, make a way and pick her up and let's introduce her to her dad. That's the kind of church you go to because that that's her issue on the ground. But we had ours too when we met him for the first time. Somebody pick her up and let her meet her maker. But see, the disciples were still a little stupid. They were still a little self-centered. They were still worried about the wrong things. And they missed it. And the crowd missed it. But Jesus said, who touched me? Who touched me? Who touched me? And he begins to ask that question over and over and over again. And it says this, are you serious? I mean, they're literally asking him, like, are you serious? Like, what, what are you talking about? He said, I felt energy discharging. See, let me tell you this. During worship, there's a lot of spectators. There's a lot of people watching the screen. There's a lot of people kind of observing the room. And Jesus is in the midst of the room. And there's a lot of people in the proximity of Jesus, especially here at church. But could you be one of those burning ones? Could you be one of those desperate ones with an issue who are actually reaching out and touching the hem of his garment? Because see, where there is no demand, there is no supply. People ask all the time, like, why in the 21st century are we still handing out cigarettes? Well, because there's a demand for nicotine. The Simpsons put it in vegetables. You know, it's like where there is a demand, there will be a supply. We actually have a picture of Jesus going to his hometown and performing no miracles. 
This is in Matthew chapter 13, if you're taking notes, verses 53 through 58. It says, when Jesus finished telling these stories, he left there, returned to his hometown, and gave a lecture in the meeting house. He made a real hit. He was impressing everyone. We had no idea Jesus was this good, they said. How did he get so wise? How did he get such ability? But in the next breath, they were cutting him down. We've known him since he was a kid. He's the carpenter's son. We know his mother, Mary. We know his sisters. We know his brother. There is no way that this guy is the Messiah. And they begin to say this. The Bible says they got their noses all out of joint. But Jesus said, a prophet is taken for granted in his hometown and in his family. And he didn't do many miracles because of their hostile indifference. All the time people say, why don't I see miracles? Why don't I see God moving? Why don't we see him move? Well, let me ask you this. Are you putting a demand on Jesus? Or is it our hostile indifference? Elie Wiesel, who survived the Holocaust, said that what's more evil than even hatred is indifference. Indifference. And Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is in the room, and you see people weeping during worship, and God's moving, and you just have an indifference to what's happening. But in the midst of that indifference, you've got another kind of worshiper. You've got somebody who put their shirt on this morning, who put their pants on this morning and tied their shoes and said, when I get to that building, I'm putting a demand on that man. When I get to that place, I'm going to touch the hem of his garment. When I get to V1 Church today, I'm coming out of there and everything's going to be different. And so during worship, you have people who are just singing a song, but you have people who are putting a demand. You got to put a demand on them. Can somebody here just say, put a demand on them? And that offends a religious spirit. This is like probably one of the most offensive things that I've communicated since I moved here. And I don't know if it just has to do with New York culture, New York City, Long Island culture. About you have to come to God in this pious, fake way. How dare you put a demand on the king of the universe? That's how you'll feel as long as you look at yourself as a spiritual orphan. But if you look at yourself like a son or daughter, you have no problem asking. See, let me explain something to you. I was raised fatherless. So the whole concept of going to the store and asking for a toy was completely out of the question for me. I just knew you're never going to get it. And this woman who had this issue of blood, you could tell she was orphaned because the possibility of even having a relationship with Jesus was so far out of her mind that she said, all I can get probably is to touch in this lowest, filthiest place. And we do that through religion. There's no way I could possibly know this God and have a relationship with him. And, and, and so I've been telling people about putting a demand. You know, I have two daughters and it's not unusual for them to actually go through the store and they go through the aisles and they say, dad, can I have this? And I'm like, no. Can I have this? No. Can I have this? Yeah, you can have that. Because they're not orphaned. They're not orphaned. And when I talk about putting a demand on God, I'm talking about being a son or a daughter and saying you are privileged enough to say, God, come on. This is the desire of my heart. I'm seeking your kingdom. I'm doing what you've called me to do. And I believe that you could do this in my life and having that dialogue and that relationship with him. But you've got this picture of Jesus actually doing no miracles. Now, is that a reflection of what Jesus could do or what they thought he could do? 
Oh, don't, don't make me preach now. Was that a reflection of what Jesus could actually do or what they thought he could do? And so maybe you're in this room right now and you're the reason why Jesus isn't moving in your life because you have in your mind, this is what he can do and this is what he can't do. But I could show you some examples in the room that would prove that my God is exceedingly able to do more than I can ever think or imagine. There's people's bodies in this room that were broken and now they're healed. There's people's minds who were wrecked and ravaged by anxiety and fear and now they're healed. And this woman who had an issue is now standing as a monument and saying, I am the living proof that he is who he said he is. And the only reason why Christianity survived 2,000 years is because there's living examples that he is who he said he is. Oh yeah, I heard Mike Signorelli. There ain't no way he could be a pastor. He used to be an alcoholic. Oh yeah, I heard Mike Signorelli. There's no way he could be a pastor because his marriage was wrecked. He didn't know how to be a husband. He didn't know how to be a dad. But God. But God. But God. I said, but God. All that's true until God shows up. And see, if he's walking through and you're recognizing right now, I miss my moment during worship, but I'm not going to miss my moment before this service is over. I just want to let you know that Jesus is still in your proximity right now. And you have not missed your chance to get what you've got to get today. And all these people that you hear screaming, all these people that look like they're crazy, they were taking a risk of faith at a point in their life and God came through and said who touched me who touched me somebody touched me there's a lot of people singing worship songs but not a lot of people touching the heart the hem of his garment there's a lot of people preaching sermons but not touching the hem of his garment something happens when you touch him when you put a demand on God and say I'm going to touch the very throne of God today see people in New York they're sick and tired of playing games they're sick and tired of religion come on you can have that devil <laughs> cut my mic out we're just gonna blame it on the devil because i'm preaching okay it might not be him but i'm bl blaming him he done enough he needs the blame but when you put a demand on god this woman, I can't, I don't know how to get this across because I feel an urgency in my spirit. I felt this from last week. This is life and death for somebody. This is where destinies are determined. I can't preach a good, a pretty nice sermon and tie it up with a bow. I just got to be real with you. There's somebody in this room who's struggling. There's somebody in this room. Maybe it's suicide. I've been thinking about it all week. She had this moment. Maybe this woman with the issue of blood was like, I'm better off dead because I can't keep suffering like this. You know, Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park he sang this song it was the last album he released before he hung himself and he said one more light he said would it even matter among millions of lights if I snuff my light out does it even matter and the, ironically the words of the song were I do I do does it matter does anyone care I do I do and he was singing those words all over the world when he killed himself doesn't matter among the millions of lights on Long Island in New York City if you snuff your light out does anyone care I do I do 
pastor was singing that song and I believe he wrote it trying to give hope but he didn't have his hope anchored and rooted in the right thing he had his hope in rock and roll but you know what rock and roll gave him an addiction he had six kids and a wife and he couldn't go all the way because his hope was anchored in the wrong thing and what I love about this woman with the issue of the blood is she had a long line of physicians and she said that physician took my money that physician used me that physician had no answers but I'm getting ready to go see the great physician and if I could just touch the hem of his garment and she anchored and rooted her hope in the right thing I am so done with religion and tradition of men. I am so done with the pretty program. I am so done with acting like it can actually work and produce results in your life. The only thing that's going to work is if you meet the man. You've got to meet the man. Do you hear me? So many times what happens over and over and over again is what we've given people. Is we've given people just read the Bible a lot. Okay, you know what that makes you? It makes you a better Christian if you know the man. It makes you a better religious zealot and Pharisee if you don't. And I can always tell when somebody's intimacy with God is overshadowed with their understanding of Scripture because they turn inward and negative and critical of everyone, starting with the church first. But when you're connected, and I am so sick and tired of this Bible being used as a way to further your own agenda. This is not a strategy. This is not a plan for you to accumulate what you think success is. If you are not connected to the man, you'll stand before God one day and he'll say, depart from me for I never knew you. You never touched me. You never touched me. This is about you saying, Jesus, are you in the room? I'm here through my Holy Spirit. I've got issues, Jesus. I don't even feel worthy right now to touch the hem of your garment. But I want to show you something. I want to go back to close this thing out right now. Mark chapter 5. I'm putting somebody in the valley of decision today. I'm going to start verse 32. It says, but he went on asking, looking around to see who had done it. The woman, knowing what had happened, knowing that she was the one, stepped up in fear and trembling, knelt before him and gave him the whole story. And then Jesus said to her, daughter, daughter, you took a risk of faith and now you're healed and whole. Live well, live blessed, be healed of your plague. You know the difference between a disease and a plague? Is a plague just feels like it never goes away. A plague feels like a battering ram against your soul. A plague is something that won't let up on you. A plague is a dark shadow and a cloud over your existence. A plague is walking through life and everyone else seems happy except for you. A plague is that you're laughing but on the inside you're crying. Is there somebody here with an issue who will stand to their feet with me right now? A plague is when it won't let up. A plague is when it seems like it chases you even though you got a new job. 
job. A plague is something that chases you even though you go into a new relationship. A plague is something that won't let up. If you're in this place and you've got a plague on you and it's following you everywhere you gotta go, I'm telling you there's a man that's walking by right now. See, the plague won't pass by. It's here to stay. But there's somebody passing by, and you cannot afford to miss this moment. And if you feel like you've been struggling with the plague, I'm here to tell you what Jesus said, daughter. Because, see, she came as a slave. She came as a beggar. She came hoping, please, can I just get a handout? Can you just give me a little bit? She said, I'm giving you more than a healing. I'm giving you your destiny. I'm giving you more than a healing. I'm giving you your identity. And that's what the Lord wants to do for you. Some of you have come here because you're like, God bless my finances. And that's the stupid, superficial thing that got you through this door. Some of you came here because you have a physical condition in a body that's already going to perish one day. That's the end of the story story we all die nobody makes it out alive but that's what got you here some of you are here right now because your marriage is fractured and it's broken and that's what got you in the door and you're thinking if I can only get those things healed if I can only get these things dealt with but God's saying there's something deeper I want to do in your life something deeper I want to do yes I can do all those stupid things and I'm calling them stupid because those are the finite things but the infinite is your spirit it's the thing that never sees death and he wants to heal you at the place that never dies and it's in your spirit that he wants to heal and he looked at that woman and said daughter and as he spoke that word daughter it pierced through the darkness it pierced through the darkness and it went right into her very being and she came in an orphan and she left a daughter some of you came in orphaned see orphans are performers they stand in the in the village square and they put on a show and hope that somebody will be impressed enough to take them and make a life out of their out of their orphan spirit and maybe you're here and you're so success driven that you are a performer and that's all you do and you've got a mask on and when everyone gets around you you're like if I could just sing and do my little trick and do my little dance then maybe I'll be accepted and you're stuck in that mode but God wants to look at you in the eyes and say daughter on your worst day I loved you at your darkest son when you blew it all it didn't change the way I loved you and I'm not going anywhere because spirit is thicker than blood I'm not going anywhere because spirit is thicker than blood and I paid the price for you so that we can spend forever together if you're here in this place just close your eyes Romans chapter 10 verse 9 has just been a banner over this church. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, he's master, he's in charge, and believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Not you might be, but you will be. God wants to do it right now. So with every eye closed, if you're here and you're saying, man, I feel like I messed it up. I felt like I came here for some of the wrong reasons. I feel like maybe even that woman who thought if I can just get a touch, but I realize it goes so much deeper than that. It's about me receiving a relationship. It's about me being a son or a daughter. And I don't want to be distanced anymore. I want to go all the way and take all of what God's got for me. With every eye closed, would you just raise your hand and just show me as a sign 
sign that you're ready to receive that spirit of adoption. I'm just going to let them leave their hands up right now because there's healing that's coming over you. For those of you who have your hands up right now, there's healing coming over you right now. It's literally just breaking over you, like pouring down from the top of your head down to the soles of your feet. Just receive it. Just receive what God's doing. When you raised your hand, you touched him. Whew. When you raised your hand, you touched him. You put a demand on him and said, God, I can't be whole unless you make me whole. Nobody but Jesus. Some of you are meeting him for the very first time right now in this moment. Some of you thought you met him, but you had met religion and tradition, but he's introducing himself. You feel his love just brooding over your heart right now. Come on, touch him. Reach out and just touch the hem of his garment. You can be made whole today. What I want you to do is with everyone here, those who've raised their hand and maybe those who have already accepted Christ, I want us to just loan our words and our courage and our boldness to each other. And I want us to make a declaration as a church and just pray this together. And so if you're here and you want to make that commitment, I just want you to just be bold with me and just say it out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, I declare that you are Lord. I believe in my heart that you are raised from the dead and you are alive. So now I am alive in you. Heal me, restore me, call me your own. Today, I am yours and you are mine forever. And I thank you that the best is yet to come. One more move. Come on, let's give it up. Sing it out. Thank you for listening. Your experience doesn't have to end with this message. Visit us online at v1.church and send us a message. If you would like to help V1 reach New York and beyond, download the V1 Church app for iPhone and Android and click give. Join us this Sunday for our weekend celebration. Directions and info can be found on our website.